Dreams are another dimension, Bobby. You know, like, uh, Welcome everyone, this is episode 8 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I am on e-co-host Chris Phelps and I'll pass you over to my other co-host Mr Dave Horrocks. Hi guys, welcome to the Comics in Motion podcast. What we like to do here is we like to review media like movies, TV shows, games that are based on comic books. Myself, I'm, I'm looking at the media from the perspective of a long-time comic book reader. And my co-host Chris there is reviewing purely from that media perspective without the, the baggage of, the, of being that comic book reader. So between the two of us, when we're walking through these recaps, these reviews, we kind of think that this will spark off some interesting, interesting conversations. So we've been enjoying it on the way, and uh, we hope you, you are too. So, Chris, again, another great week in terms of uh, some of the feedback we've had. It seems like Batman 1989 is still quite quite popular out there. Yeah, and, and I, I've been quite surprised. We were just talking before we come on that, that the response on social media, this film still sticks with a lot of people in there. And like I said to you, the sort of Hell's Kitchen that I give it, the more I've listened to people this week, I think it's become more unpopular if they listen to the podcast because <laughs> even I was uh, listening back thinking, I don't know whether it caught me on an off night or stuff. And, and you mentioned something quite good, actually, that few people really stuck with them, what the, cori- uh, the comic origins were and everything, you know, and with, regarding some of the facts, what, what it meant to them. So I think listening back, you said something to me like, you've not really got much more, you know, much room to go when we review stuff like Batman and Robin and that. You could be right, but I'm sticking by it for the time being. But um, yeah, it's just been great. A great journey so far. Eight eight episodes in and it's just, I can't believe how fast we've grown, Dave. I really can't. Yeah. And and I must admit, so I I had to listen back to the, to the podcast and, and yeah, I think, I think it was the last half hour that kind of destroyed the movie for you, wasn't it? And yeah, um, but I, the bit that really made me chuckle was, you know, in, in all seriousness, your suggestion to make uh, Tom Selleck the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and so listening back while I was editing, I, I just, I think I laughed at the time, but but listening back, I just, <laughs> I was in stitches. And so we had a, a little bit of a back and forth, didn't we? And yeah. I, we didn't think of it at the time, but, but we sort of came up with this Bat Magnum. Yeah. And because uh, <laughs> the, the thing that stood out to me, all I could think of was the tash. You know, just one of the most distinctive tashes you've got in the 80s. And uh, sure enough, I got a picture of him, stuck a Batman mask on. And it's just Tom Savick with a Batman mask on. <laughs> So every time I keep going back to that picture, I just I just laugh. <laughs> it was just, the thing was, though, Dave, like, obviously, I, I'm sort of reading from a script as such because you, you go in and finding stuff like Wikipedia. Google's always your friend with this sort of thing, especially in this day and age. You know, like we do with anything, you've got to research it and watch YouTube videos, stuff like that. And 
it mirrored so much the Superman stuff about all these people were offered it and turned it down or auditioned for it, didn't get the job. And even I, when I listened back, I mean, I was travelling in my uh, work van and then all of a sudden I absolutely burst out laughing. I had to pull over <laughs> when you were like, Tom Selleck. It just, you know, it's like, I suppose it validates the fact that I pretty much don't know what to do when it comes to reviewing because it's like, but people were going, Tom Selleck, is he real? <laughs> So, I, I mean, did you pick that up from, you know, was he actually genuinely linked or, or was yeah, that he was. Oh, right, okay. I wasn't sure if that was just no. your, your own suggestion there. <laughs> you know, even, I mean, Cesar Romero sort of famously wouldn't get rid of his tash, would he? But at no. least he's got the Joker makeup. So you could kind of, if you're squinting from a long distance from the back of the, the TV room or something, you, you might not spot it. But... But yeah, it'd be, it'd be tough to, to get away without that, Tash. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that that was obviously last week's episode. We, we had a lot of fun. And like I say, uh, it's obvious from social media that people obviously think quite fondly of that uh, still now. Uh, so yeah, having great feedback. Don't have a five-star review to read out this week, which is a shame. But uh, hopefully, if, if you guys can get on that, and uh, get onto iTunes and, and give us a five-star review there. That'd be great. We'll read it out on the show, and that helps us just boost up the rankings there and get a uh, uh, get hopefully up those search algorithms and help grow the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what we wanted to do this week is, so uh, cards on the table. So in terms of comic book background, I think the X-Men is probably – probably the number one for me um in terms of just being a young kid and then and then getting older i did drop out of comics for for years and then you know i've gone back and and reread some of those stories that i missed so it's quite keen that at some point we tackle that x-men universe yeah or rather the the fox owned X-Men universe. And most people tend to think of that X-Men 2000 movie as being the start of that Fox universe. But uh, there was a little known kind of Fox TV movie that came out a few years earlier than that. So not long after they, they got the rights and obviously before this, uh, this movie came out in 2000. So it was quite keen. So I had seen it. Uh, not at the time. I'm not even sure if it had a UK airing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, wouldn't be surprised if it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd seen it, and uh, I see. I thought, well, seeing as I've suffered this, <laughs> I'll make you, Chris, I'll, I'll make you suffer it as well. But for me, it really is the start of that of that Fox X-Men universe. So uh, being a completionist as well, I, I kind of wanted to go back and start that, which Chris, I'm, I'm sure you're going to thank me for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the film we're actually reviewing is generation X and oh boy, have we reviewed it this week? Now, uh, as, as a, a team together, we obviously can't, as we both said, after a couple of episodes, we can't keep reviewing films and giving them, you know, uh, about Asgard and things like that. You can't keep doing that. But this has been up there. And it's actually given me, before we get into the review, a more of a love for Mr. Hasselhoff as Nick Fury. Um, 
I think uh, I may have been a bit harsh on the Hoff there with my review of Nick Fury. And I certainly, as I've mentioned briefly before, I'm certainly going to have to think about the review last week of, of Batman because it's just... Anyway, I know it's, we're going to get into it in the review, but as you can tell from the offset, Dave, as a true friend, has decided that he wants to put me through what can only be described as this living hell. And <laughs> it, it is our review for this week because, I, I, Dave, I'm loving to hear what you've got on the comic book side of things. Um, so let, let me go into the comic book background. I, I will say that, that this does actually score on IMDb. It scores higher than Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which... I was a bit surprised about, to be honest, because I, I think you know we'll get, we'll get into the into the review there. It's, it's down <laughs> at the bottom of the barrel, you know. It's just scraping scraping it out there. So let's get into a bit of comics background then. So Generation X was effectively a, a spin off from the the main Uncanny X Men title back in back in the mid nineties, with a team of of younger mutants now. They'd had this similar kind of idea back in the early 80s with a book called The New Mutants. So X-Men were were originally created back in the 60s, and then that original team was replaced by um, the kind of second generation of X-Men with giant size. So that's when you got introduced to the likes of Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, all that lot. And then, like I say, this New Mutants book came out, and that was not a team of of adults who all had mastery over their powers. This was about kids who were who were just, you know, they'd just been introduced to their powers and they didn't really have control of them, certainly not not mastery of them. So Generation X was a very similar idea to that. Now Generation X was not the only spin-off. So around the 90s, and it, it was kind of an interesting time for Marvel and, and a lot of people don't really look too favorably back at it because it just, the whole comic book industry kind of imploded a little bit. You started to get, you know, big money going for the, you know, some of the golden and silver age comics. And then everyone went a little bit nuts. <laughs> so everything, all the comics, you know, you had the characters, big shoulder pads, massive guns and, and whatever, actual Actual guns, not arms guns. <laughs> um, <laughs> arms guns as well. And, uh, yeah, it all just got a bit greedy, and, and you had lots and lots of X titles kind of coming yeah. out. So anything with X in, you know, there was X Factor. It actually came out sort of late 90s, but, you know, coming in uh, – sorry, late 80s, coming into the 90s. Uh, X Force, yeah. which – you know, we're actually going to see introduced in Deadpool 2 by the look of the trailer. Um, and like uh, various titles, you know, Extinction, Resurrection, um, you know, lots of things with X in anyway. Yeah. Now, the biggest difference between Generation X and, say, the New Mutants was more that New Mutants were still being taught by Charles Xavier at his, at his mansion there, whereas Generation X... They they were being taught by Emma Frost, who you know originally was a was a bit of a villain, certainly to the New Mutants as well, uh, and she had strong ties with the with the Hellfire Club there, and also uh, Banshee, who's a little bit of a stalwart X Men, so X Man, you know, he's, he's quite often on the periphery of the team. And so uh, those two actually heading up and teaching the students made 
Generation X a little bit different there. Yeah. And again, instead of setting up in uh, Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters back at, over in New York, uh, these guys were over at Massachusetts Academy. So again, a little bit different there, and and some of the some of the characters that you had there, some of them we see in this movie. So Jubilee, uh, and Jubilee had been around uh, since uh, I think it was Uncanny two four four ish. I think it was 244, actually. Um, And she was obviously, she hadn't been around that long before she made her debut in the, she was kind of a point of view character in the X-Men animated series in the early 90s. And so she kind of gained popularity, I think, through that. But she was in this this Generation X team. You also had Monet. Uh, and Mondo and Skin, who we see in this movie, along with some other characters that that we don't see as well. Like the, of the characters that we don't see, there's, there's characters like Chamber, like Husk. They're kind of cool characters, but what what they all have in common is they all have kind of powers that that seem very difficult to shoot or expensive to shoot. So <laughs> I think that's why they kind of parked off some of those characters and created. Uh, buff and refracts so i think buff you know uh, just had a sweatshirt and there you go you've got a, a mutant power there and refracts i was trying to figure out are they track are they kind of toying are they prototyping the idea of uh introducing cyclops yeah I, I couldn't really figure out but quite often sometimes what you'll see is if if uh if a character's introduced, say in the in the movies, in the, in cartoons or whatever, if they're popular, they'll they'll eventually get added to the comics as well. Yeah, I haven't seen before Refracts <laughs> since <laughs> without a trace. Yeah, but um, yeah, so so Generation X it ran from '94 uh, uh, to around 2001, so it ran for 75 issues, which which isn't. Bad run for a, a kind of spin-off title, but uh, in the early two thousands, kind of uh, Joe Casada came in and, and gave Marvel a little bit of a shake up, shake up and a shakedown, and, and Generation X Volume One, at least, was, was one of those to get the chop. Yeah. In terms of I, normally at this point, as I say, like you know, recommended reading. This this it's not particularly one of my favorite titles. So I'll say issues of note <laughs> rather than recommended reading. But I mean, if you've got access to, uh, obviously if you've got the issues, if you've, if you've got access to the online digital comics through Marvel Unlimited or Comixology, go, go on and, and uh, have a look at Uncanny X-Men 318. That's kind of uh, a prelude issue to to the generation x series and then generation x one as well and so if you if you read those first few issues and if you like it obviously carry on there and that's it for comic book background so chris do you want to i'm really looking forward to this one (laughs) do you want to give us a bit of background on the movie, <laughs> not, not, not really. But um... <laughs> that was the wrong question, wasn't it? Can you please do that instead of "Would you like to"? <laughs> yeah, this is your segment, Chris. At least give us some. No, the, the film first aired on the twentieth uh, of Feb, ninety six. It was directed by Jack Shoulder, and um, it was a, sort of like 
Fox were testing the waters on whether they were going to run sort of these comic book superhero film series. And let's just say it didn't test very well. Um, It's quite funny, really, because as you were watching the film, there's certain things, and I watched this, and we both said the same thing, and the actual mansion that's used in the film is actually from X-Men 2000, X-Men 2, X-Men Last Stand. And I, I thought this, I'm a massive Smallville fan. The actual mansion's used in Smallville. It's the Luther Mansion as well. Mm-hmm. And it's also in Arrow. So it has got sort of comic book origins. It's obviously a very good setting. So that's where it all sort of ties in with some of the settings look quite familiar. Um, and just sorry to cut across you there, but I, I noticed that as well. And then I thought, for me, it's in continuity. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. X Men universe, the Fox X Men universe. So I'm having it. That's yeah. continuity. Yeah, Bad week and all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Terrible week. But yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, it, it was. It's a strange production wise. Like you said before, they actually created. It was one of my sort of things. They created um, Buff was to replace Husk, and obviously uh, Refrax was to create to replace Chamber. And it was purely a budget thing, which says it all really about the film because they couldn't afford the CGI or anything or whatever was available at the time. And this sort of impacted the whole uh, inception of the film, even down to some of the fans, because these, like you said, they do create these characters to maybe put them into the comics later down the line for successful, but there was obviously a reason that we never saw these characters again. And the guy, I actually thought it was um, Cyclops at first, when I first started watching it, because I'd gone into the film blind. So it's interesting. These new characters blind as well. <laughs> yeah, I always turned away. Yeah, was... <laughs> the, the only thing with the TV stuff, because I've struggled this week with this one to get a lot of the uh, information regarding this, is it's just a construct of the main characters. Um, Matt uh, Matt Frewer, um, who plays Doctor Russell Tresh, he's one of the main. He's pretty much the main guy in the film, to be honest. He, he, but he's done a lot of stuff regarding sort of comic books and that. And he's done a lot of uh, voiceover acting for like the Batman series, Credible Hulk. He's been in some um, comic book films as well, some that we'll probably watch at some point. We've got The Watchmen, Supergirl. Mm-hmm. He's been in Pixels, which we know obviously isn't uh, based really on the comic book world, but it's something that we, we spoke about myself and you, Dave. And then yeah, yeah. in 2018, he's played Carnage, which I haven't watched it in that altered carbon on Netflix. But his main character, that, and I kept thinking when I was watching it, where do we recognise this guy from? Is he was Max Headroom? Oh yeah, the 80s, so. you not know that. No, I thought no, I didn't even. <laughs> I didn't even twig. So it, it's just I just thought I'd throw that in there with him because he's a very very interesting character when you watch this film. So it, I just thought he deserved a bit bit extra on the side. Um, but, so I was I was going to talk about it when when we got to the walkthrough, but. But let's let's just touch on it a bit now because I, I have seen him in that altered carbon and he plays a pretty creepy, scary bloke. <laughs> and like you say, Max Headroom, I, I thought he was quite good in Watchmen as well. So when you watch this movie back, I mean, again, it's a '96 movie, isn't it? This yeah. is at the height of Jim Carrey popularity. Yeah, and as soon as he bursts onto screen, I, I'm just thinking, right. Again, very clearly budget constrained, but clearly the writers are thinking Jim Carrey. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the director telling him just Jim Carrey this up, or maybe it's Matt Frewer himself. 
whatever the input to it was, I, I just felt like he, he was trying to be Jim Carrey at that time. Yeah, and obviously he's Canadian as well, so his, his, his origins are around Jim Carrey. I, Dave, it's the first thing I've written down, as I keep saying in my notes, but I, I, I was absolutely blown away. If anybody hasn't watched the film, and whatever we reviewed the score, at least watch the first maybe 20 minutes of it, just if you can watch it, just to see his performance, because I've never seen anyone. It was it was literally watching like a skit that you'd see on something like Saturday Night Live or something yeah. on YouTube, someone actually just parodying. You know, like you see on Graham Norton's show in the UK, and there'll be like yeah. a lot of actors on, and they'll go, when they're promoting a film, they'll go, oh, like... Um, uh, he plays Doctor Strange, and they'll be like, he, he's really good at impressions. So he's great at different actors, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what it was like. It's like he was asked to do a, a, a film impression of Jim Carrey. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, Matt, we we wanted Jim Carrey, but uh, Ace Ventura and The Mask have already come out. So we've got you. Uh, can you be Jim Carrey, please? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was absolutely, I must admit, Dave, I was absolutely shocked by the, I know we're going to get into it in the review, but I just thought he deserved this little bit of a section because it's just a wow and a wow for totally the wrong reasons. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. But let's, uh, I mean, if you want to get into it, Dave, let's uh, get into yeah, it. Yeah, so let, let's go through the, the main kind of plot points then. In terms of the introduction, we get uh, we get to see this very badly lit operating theatre kind of thing. So we can see by by the guys what has he got little claws or something on there. You can see the guy who's strapped down is is a mutant of some kind, and the the guys who are around him clearly want to want to get into his brain, and uh, it's going to have some nasty consequences there. It's going to have a pretty bad headache i'd imagine um <laughs> and, Beth, um and they they get so they get stopped you know you have uh you get introduced very quickly to emma frost and she's got some uh some guys flanking her and, and basically they they tell matt Frew's character so this doctor uh sorry yeah yeah dr russell russell Tresh. yeah who also he's made up for the movie he doesn't doesn't exist in uh in the comics at all, there's a there's a character Trask, and I was trying to think of are they are they trying to base it on him, but probably not. Um, and they give him a, a jolly good ticking off, and and tell him he's not allowed to work at the uh, at the university anymore. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, that's that's a bit of a let off, really, isn't it? You know, considering they were about to murder this this mutant, but. I guess it quickly puts you into a world. So, so, and this is, you know, a lot of what the X Men comics are around are, are around the this idea of minorities and the fact that you know they, it, it's this X gene that they have. You know, it's the next step in evolution. And then you have people who, you know, the Homo sapiens trying to uh, manipulate that and, and use it for their own purposes. So he's obviously, I can't remember what it was called, uh, but he's trying to get into a particular part of the brain um, to take that out so he can he can use it himself. And um, so this the fact that he's not going to get, he's not really going to get brought to justice. So Emma Frost is quite annoyed at this. And then we see, I, I guess it's kind of like... Um, telekinetic 
type panels so that so the lights dim a bit and you know there's a bit of wind there they, you can see there's a guy with a fan probably some intern with a fan blowing a blowing a wig quite badly there and uh yeah i i i was a bit puzzled because <laughs> so emma frost is not a telekinetic she's she's a telepath and um <laughs> we don't we obviously don't see any of those type of powers in the in the comics, but we don't see it again in the movie. No. She just kind of makes the lights dim a bit, makes things shake around a bit, and then she's like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, walks off. Well, I must admit, at the first fifteen minutes of the film and, and this scene in particular, I couldn't work out whether she was she's obviously rescues this guy who's got like these sort of bird claws or whatever he's got, he's a mutant, but I couldn't <laughs> work out why she was so angry. And and you, you get this in the few few scenes of her. I, I couldn't work out whether she was a baddie. Uh, I couldn't. I just couldn't work it out whether it just and that that whole thing she did. And obviously, it's that uh, the Doctor Russell. She were introduced to him. Is it's it just didn't make. I, I always say I say it every week, and I listen back to the podcast and say the same thing. But it just didn't make sense. I was like, I, I don't get it. I honestly don't get what what's that going to do. Just it's knocked him over. What what power. In the long run, what does that actually do to somebody other than just like sort of sitting down for a minute because it's a bit away? I just couldn't get it. I didn't get it at all. I, uh, at that point, Dave, I sort of thought, "Oh no!" and started looking at the cl- I started looking at the clock, thinking, "Oh dear!" I'd not checked IMDb. I'd not checked Rotten Tomatoes. I'd not checked anything. And I know you alluded to a couple of things in our messages. And oh my word, that's all I can say. <laughs> And the one thing I've missed as, as we go to the next scene, she leaves the room. That Dr. Russell is he's giving this mean look as if to say, you know, I'll get you next time, Gadget. And it comes up. I didn't notice it when I first walked through. It's, the, it's five years later, isn't it, after this sort of incident and we mm-hmm. come to introduce to Skin with his family. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting what you're saying there again because I'm coming into this. I already so it's Generation X. I know what the comic book background is. I know who Emma Frost is. Um, I know mutants are, are quite often persecuted. But listening to your feedback there, you're right. I mean, it, it doesn't really do a good job of um, introducing who's who. I don't think you know because sometimes with the storytelling, they can they can introduce that a little bit later, can't they? Yeah, quite often at the beginning of films, you don't you don't quite know what's going on. Um, well, I'm trying to think now. I don't know if it really does that later in the film either. Yeah, I, I, I don't think. I mean, as well, I, it was like we had the B team because I'm thinking, is she supposed to be Storm? And she, you know, obviously she's not Storm, but you know, you've got this terrible blonde wig on which is absolutely atrocious. It looks like a Barbie doll's wig. It's just awful. And and and, and again, there's very much similarities with what she's wearing to what Viper wears in Nick Fury because we're going down the route of sort of uh, Anne Summers-type dresses as the film goes on. It gets more revealing. So it's interesting you say that. Are you familiar with Emma Frost at all? No. Okay. Have you seen X-Men First Class? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so she she's in that. Right, okay. The January, January Jones plays there. I don't think that was particularly great. I'll send you some uh, comic book images after the show, maybe. But I, I actually think uh, for most of the movie, she was quite overdressed <laughs> compared to what she is in the comics. Oh, uh, right, okay. But you would not be able to get, I don't think, <laughs> you would not be able to get away 
on any medium with with what she wears in the comics. Um, yeah, on any, uh, you know, on any movie or TV show. Ah, right, right, okay. Even in the cartoons, you know, she's uh, she's dressed up a bit more. Uh, so, but yeah, awful, awful wig, <laughs> really yeah. terrible wig, wasn't it? And I think the the storm thing again, it's because that opening scene, isn't it? I think where you got the wind blowing and and whatever. I can see why you think that. Yeah, it's, it's strange. But yeah, so getting back then, so you mentioned we meet Skin. Yeah. Yeah, so he's saying saying bye to his to his family and uh again, so Skin is from the comics, he's more kind of greyish in the in the comics, but I just <laughs> again you kinda of, have you ever seen um there was a Fantastic Four movie that that never was released, a Roger Corman movie, and it it was never intended to be released. So it's quite it's quite controversial. Have you, have you ever seen no, any no. of that? Okay, no. again, we'll, we'll have to revisit that one in the future. But just awful special effects, and uh, part of this opening scene with Skin kind of reminds me of that. So you know, he's saying bye to his family and whatever, and. They drive off, and then you get this kind of uh, gut wrenching sort of scream. And say, you're like, "What's what's happening there?" And his his little sister's still got hold of his hand, and and the car's driving further and further away. And she's obviously got hold of his hand, and it's stretching right out there. But he's obviously it's quite painful for him. Yeah, and I, and I thought. God, his sister looks like a real sociopath. <laughs> she just, she was holding his hand and she just, for me, just had a really scary look. <laughs> you know, because Armando's like screaming in pain and she's just got that deadpan look of her. <laughs> did you notice? Yeah, it did. It's like, oh, that, you, you wouldn't want to mess with her. It's like, come and see my dead animals in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a bit. That was a bit freaky. Yeah, it's, well, I, I thought also as well the vehicle that his dad, or his, whoever it is, taking him obviously to uh, Professor Xavier's school was a bit out of context. It's sort of like a nineteen fifties uh, vehicle pickup truck sort of thing. I mean, obviously, you know my views on American cars. I love stuff like that, but I, I don't know. I, I just a little thing I'd seen with the continuity. Thinking that just looks so random that they're in these sort of suits. So we look like brand new off the uh, production line. Yes, and it's funny you say about the fifties there because you know. So this is this is Generation X now. Apart from the fact that it's a spin-off and and Marvel was putting anything with X in the title basically together as a as a mini series or, or spin-off title. So Generation X gained popularity just in the mainstream media, didn't it? To describe yeah. that that MTV generation. So kind of after the baby boomers generation. So so this is like, you know, people born around I, I think is it late sixties to, to late seventies or some somewhere around that. But basically us. We're we're Generation X, aren't we? Yeah. But there's a lot of things in this movie that it it seems like Greece too, or something. It's, it seems like it's filled, it seems like it should be set in the fifties. 
Yeah, and I'll come back to that point in a, in a bit when when we get a bit further into the movie. But I hadn't noticed the car, but I can I can see it in my mind's eye now that you now that you mention it. Yeah, it's just a little spot. And then I, I know we we want to concentrate on Jubilee, but the one thing I just wanted to go to is the next scene. Obviously, from when Skin goes off is uh, Dr. Russell, and he's with this guy Bobby, who's obviously sort of like part of the company who was funding this, you know, crazy doctor as we get introduced. Mm-hmm. And this is where he goes full Jim Carrey at this point. This is when it went up because we didn't notice he was like this in the first scene because we just see him sort of getting reprimanded for um, experimenting on this guy. And I suppose mm-hmm. it's supposed to depict that five years later, he's just gone loopy because of this experimenting and stuff. But he says something, Dave, and I don't know if you picked up on this and I'm thinking we're going to have to look into this. He mentions about alpha waves again. And I was thinking... Oh, right. He's Superman trying to find Superman, Superman is he? Yeah, I don't know, Lex <laughs> Luthor or something. But I, 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 I know it's only a brief scene, but I just picked up on it straight away thinking, Alpha Waves, there's something in this I'm totally missing. Because it's mentioned in it, and obviously it's Marvel, not DC, but it was just a weird little thing. It don't mean anything. It might be totally irrelevant to the, to yeah, the whole thing. I, but I, I don't know. It kind of sounds science-y, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know... Um, I, I I didn't pick up on that to be honest, but uh, I, I, I sort of say in jest that it, it sort of sounds sciencey, but I'm 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 pretty confident that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with you with that. But yeah, yeah. But obviously we get we go to an arcade machine, uh, an arcade machine. We go to an arcade, and he's obviously looking for uh, mutants, isn't he? At this point, because it's sort of like he needs people to. Sort of experiment on, and we, and we get introduced to Jubilee playing uh, an arcade machine, absolutely going mental, isn't she? Yeah, and, and they don't make arcades like they used to, do they? I, I, <laughs> it, despite the movie and everything, I, you know that scene. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. All the sort of machines are on top of each other, pretty much. One of the things I noticed is Virtual Fighter gets mentioned an awful lot in this movie. I'm not sure if there are a few backhanders or whatever there, but but that's what she's playing, isn't she? She's playing a bit of Virtual Fighter. Yeah, and it's Sega. It's a Sega. And also, when Dr. Russell's there, or Russell, I suppose we should call him, over his right-hand shoulder, it's an X-Men arcade machine, because you see the old yellow logo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it. But in reading up on it, I, I did see that, that that's one of the Easter eggs there. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so again, a bit weird. The universe is very small, isn't it? You know, apparently he's pushing out all these subliminal uh, messages through the arcade machines, and, and apparently mutants can actually see them. So Jubilee sees this subliminal message, and, and he just happens to be right there in the, in the same arcade as well. But you know, one of the themes of these younger mutants is they they don't really have great control of their powers, and and actually in the in the very first episode of the animated series, we meet Jubilee and she's in the arcade as well. So I wasn't sure if that was a a bit of an homage or, like I say, uh, maybe coincidence. So uh, I'm thinking probably more more of an homage to the to the animated series there. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah. Yeah, she loses control of her powers, and we see, I mean, it didn't look great. You know, we <laughs> see some kind of fireworks going off there, and, uh, yeah. So Trish sort of notices. <laughs> she notice oh, the yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> see some fireworks. Yeah. That, that just sums it up. I, I, yeah, it, they weren't great, were they? But you know, she, so she she obviously gets found out that that she's a mutant there and and hauled off to jail. Yeah, yeah, and and we get Dave, which we both picked up on immediately because we we get obviously we get she meets her mother, don't she? And and um, we have this sort of dialogue between the two, and and the mother just doesn't really care about her, to be honest. Uh, she doesn't yeah. seem that bothered. And again, uh, well, so so, what what do you think of that of that reaction from the mother? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I know, obviously, when you watch the, the later stuff and, and things like that. Obviously, I can only go off the movie stuff I've seen. It's more that the families are more embarrassed, aren't they, and sort of absolutely distraught that one of them is a mutant because they've not realised the others are just normal humans. And then you'll get the odd one who's a mutant, especially in sort of like X Men Three, when it becomes apparent with a couple of the characters that the mm-hmm. families didn't know and stuff, or there's a couple of them within the family and they're hiding it. But I, I, I don't know. It, it just didn't make, really make much sense. It was just very blasé the way the one was, if, if I'm being honest. It wasn't convincing. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of a theme, and I guess you've got the the hindsight of, of seeing the, the, X, the later X-Men movies as well, but... It is a bit of a theme in the comics. I, I, I remember seeing an interview with Stanley, and and the main reason he created the X Men was because he was he was getting a bit tired of having to think up different origins for characters. Yeah. So you know, you couldn't have everyone kind of uh, somehow be exposed to gamma radiation or um, get hit by a truck with radioactive waste in there or bit by a radioactive spider. So he just had this idea, genius really, they were just born that way. (laughs) 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 And the X was just, you know, for extra. They've got something extra about them. So, you know, just that idea, you could just suddenly say, and, and typically through the comics, they, they're not born mutants or they don't display their powers when, when they're first born. It's more of a, a thing that happens when they go through, through puberty. So, you know, around about that age, that's when they come into their, their powers. And it, it, one of the things that drew me to the, to the X-Men as well was this idea that, well, you know, Spider-Man... Yeah, part of, unless you're J. Jonah Jameson, I guess. You, you're a hero. Yes. And, you know, despite not destroying buildings and all that sort of stuff, people, people celebrate these these heroes. Yet the mutants who seem to be heroes, they've got spandex and look the part and everything, but, but they seem to be a bit despised, you know, and, and so it's a bit people uh, – not frowned on by society, but sometimes, you know, if the, if the um, parents find out, you know, their, their kid is a mutant, then there will be this stigma attached to it. So, so they can quite often have an, an adverse um, response, like like Jubilee's mum there. Yeah. So I just I was just interested what, what you thought, because for me it's just like, all oh, right, well, this is, you know, it can go one or two ways, you know, Oh, we love you anyway, even though you're a mutant. Or, you know, can't you try not being a mutant? I think was the line out of X3. Yeah. Uh, just jumped into my mind. So, you know, and there's a lot of 
parallels to that in uh, stigmas in the in the real world, isn't there? So, uh, but yeah, so uh, Jubilee's mum not happy at all, and then we uh, we get <laughs> one of the biggest pop culture references that that just immediately plant this right in the nineties, don't we? Because uh, Emma Frost and Banshee turn up, and uh, Officer Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh no, just Hootie and Blowfish. Yeah. It was one of those where they said that, and I was just like, you know, when you just suck back on your teeth, you're like, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty bad. But Dave, what was even worse was Banshee's accent. I mean, I don't know whether <laughs> I don't know if he is Irish, but oh my word! So talk, talk about being miscast. It was a terrible. Oh, he, he's. Oh. I, I can't, I, it's definitely not Irish. No, I, I, just, I, just, I, just, I just can't I can't comprehend. It's like he's watched the commitments a couple of times and then gone, right, I've got my Irish accent. And, and, Nailed it. Oh, it's just <laughs> awful. He's abs- I mean, what, what gets me... Calm like, down, you harpy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, know, I know we've got, gone into obviously talking about the police station, but when um, she comes and wakes him up, she says to him, wake up, lover. I'm even better in real life. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. weird. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, my word. But this is obviously weird at the scene after that. And we get the whole thing where they rescue him and somehow they've got these sort of DEA um, uniforms on to the actual police, haven't they, who just released them and, and they've sort of this mind control thing has worked. A bit like the Professor X type. Thing. Yeah. yeah. But, so, so Emma Frost powers are, are, or original powers at least are, are all around being a telepath and and you know a very powerful one so if you if you think basically professor x but female with a wig yeah, <laughs> then, yeah. then you're pretty much there she did have a, a kind of secondary mutation uh introduced years later so you know she can turn into diamond which we saw in uh x-men first class but here we just get a bit of the bit of the jedi mind tricks isn't it you know yeah and, and we see it again later in the in the movie and that that's how they get out and that's that's when they're, they're coming out of the police station um, we see, you know, we're looking for the Hoff, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, both of us said it, didn't we? We both messaged each other. And, and it's it's funny because depending on the ca- where you place the camera and the lighting and everything, you can make the same set and the same uh, location look quite different, can't you? But it, it seemed like the camera was almost in the same place as when we saw it in, in Nick Fury. Even the lights, I think even the lights outside, they sort of turn green at one point in this sort of meeting they've got going down. And I was just expecting them to jump into the subway like they did Nick Fury because it was just, I, honestly, I, you know, obviously we had, we, we talk about this and we, we've not, we're not actually at the mansion yet at this point in the film, but that whole scene in the mansion, you can get away with that because it's set within the same sort of universe. But this, this, there was no forgiveness for what they were doing. I mean, this was done obviously before Nick Fury, but obviously Nick Fury just ripped that. They was they weren't even bothered where where it went. I mean, then again, had a lot of people watched this Generation X up to this point. I'm <laughs> doubting whether whether anyone had actually seen it. So yeah, I don't there think it'd be, be an issue. more more steps in the US then, wasn't there? <laughs> well, actually, more David, people. it's Berlin if you don't mind. You can just film outside, but but seemingly not. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's Berlin, if you don't mind, David, Nick Fury. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so so obviously they they 
come out of the police station, there's a bit of a back and forth, isn't there? You know, Jubilee's not quite sure whether she wants to go with them or not. And then uh, I'm trying to think back now. Doesn't Emma play some mind tricks or something on Jubilee's mum? I can't. I must admit, I didn't pick up on that as she did, Dave. I genuinely didn't. I'm trying to, yeah. Right, let's skip past that. I, I'm not watching it again to verify. <laughs> I don't, I'll be honest um, with you, I don't care if she didn't. <laughs> but, but, so after she goes there, so so we get into the mansion. Yeah. You know, it looks very much like a studio. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, I guess, you know, an 80s or 90s reason, um, Jubilee needs to get scanned and she needs to take a top off to yeah, get just, scanned. Yeah, and and I, like, I, I was a bit uncomfortable with this. Isn't she supposed to be around about 15, 16? Uh, and, and all kind of in and around that age. And it, it, it struck me. I mean, it, it just seemed highly inappropriate. And, and of course, you know, she says, so after the scan, and that bit of humiliation there, she sort of says to skin, you know, you, you're next. But the camera doesn't, we don't need to see that. No, no. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it was a little bit uncomfortable viewing that bit, I must admit. Yeah, I, I, and I think as well around about this time in the film, I mean, I, I put that like you as a parent as well, and not just because, you know, I've got a daughter who's 17, you've got uh, children who are younger, but I just thought, this isn't right. Even in the 90s, you couldn't have said, like, you know, it's, you need to, it'll be over in a minute. You can't say stuff like that because it's supposed to be, like, kids, aren't they, which I just found really bizarre. But then what, what starts happening at this point, Dave, is you started getting little bits of swearing introduced in the film. For, and I'll be honest with you, you know I can swear with the best of them and, and I've tried my hardest not to swear in this podcast because <laughs> I don't want to for what we're doing. In my other podcast, you know, it's terrible. But they just were dropping... One line is little swear words in for no reason. It just, I've not been trying to make it a bit more gritty, but it just didn't fit. Sometimes in a film, it fits, doesn't it? And you can understand what they're going like a gangster film or something like this. But I thought they really, yeah. they're playing this sort of game of uh, we get to the next scene after they've obviously got this scan and they get introduced to the rest of the clan, don't they, really? Um, yeah, so we we get to they get to meet the other students, don't don't we? And and then there's some clunky dialogue, you know, where they're talking about well, what powers have you got? And I can do this, and I can do that, you know. So, <laughs> um, so we we meet Monet, don't we? We meet Mondo, um, Buff and Refrax, and they're they're playing a little game of football there, and it's very clear they they're getting the new kids treatment aren't they you know they're they're not terribly popular at all um but you know skin gets gets into the game gets some skin in the game (laughs) and then they have a bit of a ruckus and then i think if i was to say you know and it's it's a hard list but if you say what are your top three favorite moments you know so they get into a bit of a ruck don't they the kids bit of fighting and uh, Banshee decides then to use his powers to break it up. And they, you know, so he gives his sonic boom, and the kids don't really move at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see the visual effect, you know, that, that, that these sound waves are generated. And then he just, he, <laughs> he just blows on his fingers as if they're guns, and then just goes to put them in his holsters. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> you thought, oh, I'll tell you what would be good. <laughs> Bit of Clint Eastwood. This will be great if he does that. You know, just <laughs> shooting with the old fingers. Let's be honest, Dave. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, I mean, the, the, the more at this point, we're about 25 minutes into the, the film, half an hour into the film. And, and genuinely, again, I've said this when I watched like Nick Fury and uh, I was literally, this, this is, this was becoming a grind that I've ever seen with, with a film because even for a TV adaption, I was thinking, surely there's got to be more. It was, I mean, I was a massive fan of Smallville, There's, you know, the Superman Origins TV mm-hmm. show following Clark Kent. I watched it from the start. And yeah, you got the odd episode where it was a bit hit and miss, but it was believable as a character. And and, and I know it's obviously that was a long running TV series that went mm-hmm. over 100 episodes, but this was like, it's like, again, like I said, I've said a few times, it was like the director and, and just didn't understand what it meant for it to be a comic book and how you're supposed to adapt it to TV. And, and this was just, at this point, I was thinking, they're just throwing things in for funny just to see if it works. Yeah, I mean, again, I think, well, let, let's hold on to that thought cause, cause, and let's go into the out and about around yeah, yeah. town kind of scene because uh, we'll definitely, we'll come back to that. Because they they kind of convince Banshee, don't they? That we've got licenses. Let's let's take the car and we'll go into town. And so you know they're in the the kind of cafe slash diner, aren't they? And, and then, yeah, kind of weird scene where Mondo's like challenging this jock sort of character to a, a, a drink off with a milkshake, <laughs> like you do. <laughs> That's a bit strange. And, and then Jamie's uh, got eyes for this local girl, give her, give her some stuff and and probably what is a, supposed to be a boyfriend probably, you know, takes exception to that and ends up inviting him over and then, you know, shoves his head in a, in a banana split. But this whole thing, <laughs> I think I mentioned before Greece too, this whole scene for me, it was just it's it's like it was written for the fifties. Yep, yep. You know what I mean? It, it's like this. This is the nineties. This is the mid nineties, and you're supposed to be, you know, supposed to have that meta awareness of what Generation X is. You know, in this MTV generation, and then chugging milkshakes and. and you know, shoving faces in banana splits. <laughs> not, not that I think actually that probably did happen in the fifties, but you know that that idea of kind of it being written as if it was a scene out of Greece too or something. Yeah, I think I, I got two things out of it. One was there was a slight comparison to Back to the Future. Uh, <laughs> obviously, that is set in the fifties, and then two. Yeah. It was almost a scene and as well delivered and acted as what you would have saw in Happy Days where the Fonz <laughs> comes and saves the day. I mean, obviously, in this scene, nobody saves the day. They just sort of look, you know, they don't really help uh, Skin or anything, but it's just, it's just, but Dave, let's just, just before, obviously, I know we've gone on about this scene because it is ridiculous, but uh-huh. slightly before that is something we both touched on is this the scene where we get, and forgive me, who's the girl who's, who won't like take a, a, a clothes off of that? The blonde girl, what's she called? Oh, 
Buff. Yeah, okay. Buff. And we get this scene where this girl obviously is about a size UK eight. Oh, was that before? Was it just oh, before it? Forget that and and and, yeah. and and she's getting changed in like this sort of shot, and she takes the top off, and she's got the back of the biggest steroid-taking female that like you would see on a body. And obviously, I, you know, I was in, like my bodybuilding and that, and I'm, I'm thinking. But it's the fact that it's a bloke. I mean, they. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, we, we say about it. So she takes the top off, doesn't she? And and all throughout the movie, she's been wearing the baggy uh, sweaters. But you, you've got eyes. You can see that she's got a baggy sweater. But you can see that she's, you know, she's a, a young woman uh, underneath that. Yeah. But when she takes off, uh, you see just a. a Couple of, a second or two, don't you? And uh, she's trying something on in the changing rooms, and, and Jubilee walks in by accident, and, and you see it's basically I don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or Lou Ferrigno. The back <laughs> is absolutely huge, and I couldn't help but think, just get a female bodybuilder. You know, yeah. you can tell. But it's just it was so so obvious. That it was a bloke and a bloke, a, a bodybuilder bloke's back with a wig on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I talked before about my top three moments. That I think that's number one for me. It was just so so bad, and the fact that you know, they, all movies go through various editing, you know, loops. You know, there's there's the initial. You know, when you're shooting the scene, I guess you know you you look back and you see, well, how does that look? Oh no, we need to maybe shoot it again. And then there's there's all kind of reviews and approvals that you got to go through, and, and how that got through is beyond me because that that is atrocious. That bit. Yeah, I mean, there's some terrible dialogue, Dave, as well. And there's a couple of bits of dialogue I won't even say in the pod, uh, podcast because it's actually it, we'd have to take it to an R rating thing. Some of the things <laughs> I get dropped in, um, I won't even go into it. But you'd have to watch it. But yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it's a real, real strange situation. And, and, and like you said, it's like something out of uh, like a, you see it in Greece too, I think more than the first Greece is you get this sort of these daydream scenes in it. And, and that's what it feels like. You're just waiting for him to burst into song. I think at some of these little, that little section, he didn't sit with the film at all. Yeah. yeah. Strange, a whole strange situation from there, to be honest. Yeah, but I'm glad you you pulled me back to that bit because I I uh, I think that was the number one worst, but for me best scene in the in the whole movie. Yeah. But, um. So yeah, and and what's clear from that that dying scene as well is you know, skin is still getting the new kid treatment, isn't he? So uh, the other guys, Mondo and, and Refrax, they they're doing nothing to actually help him out there. Yeah. And we go to uh, we go to Doctor Doctor Russell Tresh and and he's he's kind of pitching to a board what, what it looks like about his whole dream web idea and you know they're they're understandably a bit a bit reserved about that but we start to get the impression that you know this guy won't be won't be stopped at anything so you know one of the most one of his vocal um, one of the guys who really doesn't want to. Uh, back him essentially he invades his dreams and takes him on a little sleepwalk and then 
you know, sleepwalks him right off the edge of a building there. So at, at this stage, I'm just thinking Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I've, Dave, I swear to you, I've got, I went that bit on my notes, and it's the first thing I, I thought. I mean, I hated Nightmare on Elm Street as a kid. I was absolutely petrified. One of my best friends used to make me watch it, and I as about a 10, 11-year-old kid, I was absolutely petrified of Freddy Krueger. But this yeah. whole... This whole thing that goes on and he's wearing like a sort of pink red suit and all the others are wearing sort of normal black and, and neutral colored suits so it all sort of stands out like he's, he's obviously supposed to be this maverick nut job and i i, I, I was the one thing i wanted to ask you because we haven't spoke about this other than when we're reviewing it now but is any of this even relevant to the comic what, what's going on because it was just purely yeah. a nightmare in elm street parody yeah yeah jim carrey in featured in nightmare on elm street <laughs> yeah I just and this is where he goes more Jim Carrey. Then I mean, he's even got like a a Riddler outfit on. The, the suit's pretty much if he had made it green, it'd just be the Riddler, a Batman. It was yeah, just, yeah. I, I, I mean, Dave, I won't write. I won't even say what I said, but I just said this guy's Jim Carrey impression. He is a W because I was getting fed <laughs> up of seeing it. I thought, look, what are the Americans a J? Yeah, J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got an off at the end, but yeah, it, it was just, it was just for me ridiculous and I, it was really great on me now I know we said this a few times when things great on some of these films review but I was getting sick of it I was thinking come on now there's got to be more to, to this than just a pure Jim Carrey parody come on you know what I mean yeah. we're like nearly an hour into the film and it was just there uh, no sorry about 45 minutes into the film and then he does this thing doesn't he where he's supposed to have gone into their minds and says to him at a certain time now you'll all have a an episode and we end up with them all sort of breaking wind round a table and I'm thinking oh yeah, no yeah you know what I mean? I was like, no. Any material, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when he's in the, the dream web as well, he just he keeps bumping into people. You know, we, we saw him bump into Jubilee at the at the arcade and bumps into Jubilee because, oh, yeah, so, so Jubilee and Skin, they, they've obviously stumbled across Cerebro. I, I didn't pick up. I, I don't think they... They mentioned Cerebro. Uh, they might have done, but I was half asleep, probably, possibly. <laughs> but I think that's what it's supposed to be. And, and Skin is obviously uh, quite a smart chap when it comes to technology, so he's got it all figured out. But but they just bump into him in uh, in the dream web, you know, for for the seven billion people that are on the planet. Just just happens to bump into those guys, <laughs> and so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, again, stretching that that believability a little bit. Well, well, Dave, you know, we were saying earlier, obviously, two of the characters got changed because they didn't have the budget for the special effects, and as you know from the comic book mm-hmm. origins. Well, also at this point, when we've got Skin sat at the computer and he's got this supposed sort of uh, V-shaped keyboard, like it's a snazzy mm-hmm. technological keyboard, because probably around 96, we'd never seen that. But you and me were both in a band, if I don't know if anyone knows this, and basically what he's using there is a mixing desk that you would have in any recording studio that we used to carry around... Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, look, if you're going to make it believable, at least put some bits of metal over it or make the dials slightly different. They just basically took a Yamaha mixing desk that you would find at any music shop. And he sat there just going up and down. I don't know if he's putting reverb or gain on what he was doing, but it was just so rubbish. I was thinking, come on, please, <laughs> give us a bit more than this. Yeah, but I mean, he, he sort of freaks 
So Trashy, he freaks Jubilee out, doesn't he? But uh, Armando, you know, Skinny, he, he doesn't seem to have a problem with him and, and seems quite uh, become with the idea that, that, you know, he can help him win the affections of this girl. So, yeah. uh, you know, he, he seems all right with him, uh, this invasiveness of, of people's dreams. So, but yeah, we, we can see again, Jim Carrey on steroids, appearing in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So we move on to the fairground scene, don't we? So yeah. after, you know, and, and this girl that, that Skin's got eyes for, she she kind of sees him and, and, you know, she's thinking, oh, I know this guy. Um, but they end up, you know, cut, cutting it short here. You know, we the team end up getting into a bit of scrap again, don't they? Whereas unlike the diner scene, we see them banding together a little bit because Skin's getting picked on there. But, uh, you know, uh, Mondo, so so we get, get to see his powers, don't we? So he picks up a rock, absorbs um, absorbs the rock, so it makes his his uh, his skin all the texture and, and density of the rock. And then uh, that that's quite handy if you're getting into a fight, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but they end up in this scrap and, and end up in prison. And um, then again, just just to know that we're fully in the 80s. Sorry, not the 80s. To know that we're fully in the 90s. We're getting some more pop culture references, don't we? It's like, that's Eddie Vedder, you know, obviously the Pearl Jam singer. That, that's Eddie Van Halen. Uh, you know, again, just silly little pop culture references where yeah. I don't think they had to be in there. They obviously thought they were pretty clever at the time. But for me, it just... It just dates it a little bit, but so yeah, <clears throat> so they get they get busted uh, with some Jedi mind tricks again from from Emma, but then she's pretty ticked off, isn't she? And, and actually, I don't know if you picked up on the dialogue, but she when she's giving the kids a bit of a ticking off there, she mentions about camps, you know, and, and the fact that you could end up in camps. So again, just another little hint there that you know being a mutant. Uh, in this world, it isn't necessarily fun, and, and you know you could get taken off to these to these mutant camps. But she's all for uh, she's all for expelling them, you know. And they pull a bit of a Spartacus, don't they? Because you know Mondo owns up to the fact that he used his powers outside the school to you know as part of this fight, and so she says, "Right, you're expelled." And then one by one, they all sort of stand up, you know, I'm Spartacus. And, and she's like, right, fine, then you're all expelled then. Um, and then <laughs> so Banshee pulls off that move. You know, he, he may as well have just patted her on the head, really. <laughs> he says, you know, give, give us a moment, kids, and, and I'll discuss your punishments with Emma. So completely undermines uh, Emma Frost. And, and and in the comics, I mean, I, I just couldn't see that that would happen. You know, she he wasn't there. But uh, so obviously he convinces her that, um, you know, you can't really have a school with no students. And and that I, I don't know if you picked up on this dialogue, but quite subtle. And again, it's, I guess you, you're not if, you, if you're not coming from the comics. But he mentions about the Hellions. Yeah. Did you, did you hear no. that? At oh, all no. He, he says, you know, you can't blame yourself for the Hellions. And she says, well, you know, I can't help but feel if, I, if I'd have trained them better, uh, they might still be alive now. So that is from the comics. So, you know, 
she she had a little group, and they were kind of rivals to the New Mutants, uh, the Hellions, and they ended up getting killed. And that that was part of her journey onto onto walking on the good side, if you like. So just a little bit of dialogue. I, I did like that. You know, I guess the little fanboy in me is like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. A real reference that's not Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so yeah, no. Um, so they're, they're, they're not expelled, obviously, or else that would be the end of the movie. <laughs> no. I mean, did you, I mean, obviously, from the next scene, his skin is obviously in this – chair again and he's in sort of dream world and we get this absolutely horrendous dream scene and he's dancing and it's like something out of the oh, jungle book and it's just uh, honestly I mean obviously the girl is dreaming and he's got this thing and she's you know it keeps panning to her in bed and she's smiling and, it, and he's obviously in her mind and stuff and he's I mean uh, I was really thinking what is going on because like I say, there's bits of dialogue where there's a lot of swearing. Then there's a little, couple of little bits that look quite serious. And then you get in this sort of, I don't know what it was. It was, it was, I just it's don't, it didn't know. It's a mix of a movie in terms of tone, isn't it? I mean, oh. it, that that has to be up there with, with one of the worst things I've ever seen on television ever, <laughs> I think. <laughs> just awful. That, that old dancing thing it was like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just you know, very weird. And then and then the next scene is he gets out of the chair. She's there, and then, and he goes back in. And obviously, Doctor Russell's there, but he says a line, Dave. I'm thinking we'd already had this inappropriate section earlier where they're getting Jubilee to sort of take her clothes off as a 15 year old kid. Say, you know, roughly that's what we're guessing her age is. He then says to sort of skin to blackmail him. He's, I'm going to mind rape your sister. And it's like, well, she, she's about 12 or 13. Yeah. It's surely, I know it's fat. It's, she was a little kid or whatever. She, but I'm thinking surely you should even put that in the film. I, I, I just didn't get that at all. It was a bit much, wasn't it? And it, it's not like, um, you know, like it's not like a an eighteen year old playing a, a fifteen year old. She looked like she was about twelve, like actually twelve. Yeah, yeah. And it was just very, very wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and again, I'm thinking, crikey, was were the nineties like that? Yeah, surely not. Yeah, I, I was the same. I, I really, it was. There's not many things in a film could disturb me and, and sort of shock me, you know, where you're thinking, did I really hear that? You know, we've all seen films of all different genres, you know, horror, uh, you know, we've seen some of those violent films where you get, you know, stuff like Death Wish in the 70s and it's mm-hmm. all based on, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on there. But, oh, my word, Dave, that really got me. And I, th- I kept thinking, surely that hasn't been in there. And I'm, then I'm thinking, well, has he got another sister that he's going on about? He's an adult or something. You know, I just, I don't know. I know he's supposed to uh, depict this Dr. Russell as, as a raging lunatic. But I'm thinking yeah, that's just sort of uh, not right at all. Not yeah, right. Again, just for the tone of the rest of the movie where they're chugging milkshakes and... and pushing each other's faces in banana splits, it, it doesn't sit quite right, does it? You know? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that, that was another quite uncomfortable bit, probably the most uncomfortable bit for me, at least in that, in that scene. I, I, you know, did we actually mention about, so, so 
Tresh had actually uh, he got trapped in the dream web. Hadn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. So um, somehow, and I, I didn't quite pick up. So after the guy, you know, the chairman of the board or whatever he was, his, his vocal guy who was against all of his plans when he committed or, or when he slept walk off the edge of the building, uh, they somehow tied it back. I guess it probably wouldn't have been that much of a leap, would it? He's just made the pitch, so you've got 10 other people saying he's probably done that. Um, but anyway, so they, they unhook him from the machine, and that's where he gets trapped away from his away from his body and, and trapped in the dream web. So, yeah, he's, he's trying to blackmail skin, isn't he, so that he can get back to his body and uh, back into the real world. Yeah. But yeah, after that, after that uncomfortable scene, so so skin ends up uh, getting him back into his body, doesn't he? And and of course, Trash, the, the old double cross. So he's he's now got skin, and he's like you know keeping him prisoner, and he, and he wants. So going back to that opening scene on the movie where he's trying to drill into someone's brain to get get hold of this particular cell or what, whatever he's trying to get from the brain. So he's going to do that to to skin and it, it did it did make me laugh a little bit i think you know part of me was laughing and part of me was wincing <laughs> again because because matt Fru is just channeling jim carrey so you know everything is mannerisms and everything but i did like the line where he's like you know i've really got to say this I really hate your hair. Yeah, yeah. I've written that down. That's the only line that made me laugh. And then there's another line where he says to him as well, he says, well, like, have you been circumcised? And I'm like... Oh, yeah, where well, he gets the blade. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he, he says, obviously, when he wakes him up, this is just before this, he gets the dreams... Uh, skate thing on him and he says you know I liked it so much I bought the company the old Victor Kayam adverts if anyone remembers them from the 80s you know the oh, Remington yeah, yeah. Um, shaver it was it was a big advert but he, he, that was quite a nice little line I did like that but yeah that was the only line that, that, that you know I really hate your hair sort of thing I thought that wasn't funny it was the only thing that I sort of half laughed at yeah and it, it, it was his delivery wasn't it it was the pause you think what's he going to say, and and then you know he delivers it. So I I thought that was genuinely uh, mildly funny. But, but it it didn't make sense though because obviously he's not a mutant, but he then captures skin and just puts him in the sort of dreamscape in the chair and that. And you think he well, well, he's got this skin sort of thing where he can you know move, he can deform his body why can't he get out of that chair or why can't he do something? It just, I, I couldn't work out what the logical reason was for him to... Sloppy writing. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just made... I, I think if you if you try and rationalise it for more than a second, it, it kind of breaks down a little bit. But, yeah, that's, that's all. Well, it gets weirder, doesn't it? Because, so, so he's trapped up there and then, and then they decide to mount a rescue, all, all the rest of the team. And I kind of half lost what what was going on here, but I, I got the impression. So I think Emma was was talking about you know she can mentally put them all into the dream web, yeah, you know, but she can't really she can't take part in the showdown because she's she's concentrated on keeping all them in this dream space or dream web or whatever. 
But when they're taking on Tresh, they've all just got the same powers as their physical mutations. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, what's going on? I, I was trying to figure out, are they in are they in the dream space? Are they in the real world? What's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a clue, Dave. I, th- I think they were in the dream space, but they just had the same powers as as their their physical bodies. Because I think for the first few seconds, I'm kind of thinking, well, how is Tresh got a prayer? He's just a normal bloke. You know, he's a scientist, he's a mad scientist, isn't he? You've got Mondo who can turn himself into rock, into steel, into anything. Like you say, you've got skin, he can, you know, stretch his skin, wrap him up you know, like Mr. Fantastic or something, you got buff, you know, just drop kicking. You know, you got all these different mutants who could on their own take him out. Yeah. But he's he's kind of, you know, holding his own. So so that's when I tweaked that. I thought, oh, maybe maybe because they're in the dream web, he's, he's kind of really powerful in there. But it's, it still didn't make sense. But at this point, again, I'm thinking – Nightmare on Elm Street three, is it, is it the the Dream Warriors where they kind yeah. of gang up and have a have a bit of a go at Freddy Krueger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it just screamed of that to me. Well, actually, Dave, I'll be honest with you, it screamed um, a word beginning with S and ending in T. But we won't go into what's in between. <laughs> we? But uh, it was just, it was just. I'm sorry. I know, obviously, people can probably get by how we've reviewed this, um, but. I don't. I didn't even care again. I know I said it last week about Batman, and and the more I watched this film, Dave, and we are drawing towards the end of the conclusion of it, was I was thinking I have totally misreviewed Batman and Nick Fury, if I'm being honest. We were getting to that at the end, but I, I just you put, you put Black Panther in the Hall of Justice as well. Let's let's come back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's, there's, I mean, there's uh, Mosey on, Meander on to the end then. So, you know, again, we, we get a, this, this fighting again. It's it's not really making that much sense. And, you know, you get the impression for it. For a moment, you think maybe Emma's going to be trapped in there and then skin out of nowhere. You know, he's he's been our point of view character, hasn't he, all the way through the movie. And then, then he does this weird, again, Mr. Fantastic thing where he's just stretching round Matt Fruitt. You know, he's, Trash has been, you know, borderline omnipotent in the previous few seconds, but, but Skin can actually, and again, it's all in the dream web. Yeah. He can just wrap himself around uh, Trash a few times and then, you know, disappear off the edge of a, of a cliff on this on this dreamscape and you're like what <laughs> what's going on and then for a few seconds you think oh no skin's gone i didn't really care about him but he's gone you know and then, and then the hand comes up you're like oh right he's, he's not gone <laughs> i love that dave i love that he's gone but we don't really care that's <laughs> because, and then, and then, obviously, he, he comes back like Lazarus, and he makes his return on the edge, and they're all like, "Wow, it's amazing!" But what gets me, Dave, as they're going through the sort of 
the wall or this sort of, I don't know what it's supposed to be, whether it's supposed to be like a portal or something back to reality, <laughs> to make it look even worse that it's just a piece of scenery cut out to make it look like a portal. <laughs> the, the Irish guy, Banshee, who's been absolutely useless, he grabs the wall and I'm like, oh, no, he actually grabs the scene, which is the portal. And I'm thinking it's supposed to be this sort of, they give up at this point because all the smoke and the white sort of background to make it look like it's a portal in a wall and stuff. Dirty Dungeons and Dragons like, yeah, yeah. they've just given up and gone, now. it's just a bit of cardboard really, just walk through it and we'll just end the film now. Let's just put about the misery. It was We've had just- enough. <laughs> yeah, and I'd had enough at that point. And then you've picked up on the net. One of the, which is a classic, Dave, is, is uh, Buff at the end. We've, we've obviously gone to the end. Everyone's safe. Everyone's back at the mansion. And then we get this scene with Buff. Dave, go on, you take that one away. Well, so so again, we, we'd seen it earlier in the movie, hadn't we, that, that Buff with, with a um, baggy jumper on, a baggy jumper on, you know, but she's very clearly, uh, you know, uh, womanly. And and then she she turns up in what I think is supposed to be a wow. We get to see the uniforms at the end there. So we get a big red uh, uniform. And it, it, is, it is quite similar to the Gen X um, uniforms there with a the big flashing red X belt. But she, she's just very clearly not that, not that bodybuilder bloke. That we saw saw earlier in the scene. So, what what confused me? I mean, it, it's a, it's the old you know sort of seventies and eighties lycra suit sort of job. Yeah. What what I couldn't fathom is you know especially you know in the eighties you know you had all the shoulder pads and everything. Even if they just stuck a couple of shoulder pads on her, you know, to make her shoulders look bigger or something, it's like. What are you doing? You've, you've stuck her in lycra. She's supposed to be this muscly brute, and she's embarrassed. <laughs> she's ashamed of herself. But you can just see it's, it's just not the case. And so I just <laughs> thought that was really lazy. And, and like I say, you're supposed to be thinking, oh, look at that. The X-Men suit. Hooray. And it, it, was, it just fell flat for me. Yeah, it, it was strange. It was really... Um... I, I tell you what, what I thought, um, you know, again, uh, movies, I, I, I think they go through all these kind of reviews and approvals and whatever before they actually hit the screens. Or, or maybe maybe for TV movies, it just hits the air and no one's seen it, you know, and the, <laughs> the producers and everything are like, oh, my God, is that what I paid for? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, it did cross my mind that someone was – you know, someone in authority was watching that and thinking, right, the next X-Men movie, Leather Suits it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I genuinely wondered, did that have an influence on the on the suits that we saw in, in the 2000 X-Men movie? Yeah, because I, it, it was pretty bad. It was... Uh, I, I, I'm not, you know me, Dave, I can talk a glass eye to sleep, as the old cliche says. I am actually lost for words at this point with with this whole (laughs) film because I really, I I just, I don't get it. I don't get the whole thing. I mean, they've put this sort of pumped up suit on her from nowhere 
saying like, you know, she's happy with her body and that great, great, no problem. But like you said, the continuity at this point has just gone completely. There was no logical or reasonable explanation for what is actually going on at this point. It was just like, right, let's get to the credits. Everyone goes home smiling. The heroes win. We, we get this half thing that Dr. Russell may come back if they make a second. And at this point, I'm thinking, thank God they don't. And he's sort of blinking in bed. And, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. I really well, don't. let's let's get into the into the wrap up. Yeah. So, I I think as well. So I'll, I'll let you I'll let you go first. But what I will say is, you know, I think with with some of the other movies. Actually, no, we hadn't seen Nick Fury, had we? we? We kind of watched that out of context, out of the time. Yeah. And yeah. I mentioned, I think, at the top that, that I don't think this got a, a UK release. Um, but, or not but, and, um, you know, so we hadn't seen it in the 90s, nor the 2000s. We're watching it in 2018. And we don't have that nostalgia that, you know, when we were watching Batman last week, we kind of had that nostalgia as well, you know, when uh, Joker would say certain lines or Batman would say certain lines. You, you remember what it was like watching it as a kid. And I, I remember, you know, being a kid and, and around even around this mid-90s time, I think I'd have just gobbled up anything that was around this whole genre. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think even if I had have done that, um, I'd have watched this and just been like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, Matrix was out uh, a few years from then. Um, it, it just it just didn't stand up at all. So I'll, I'll probably said too much already, but I'll no, hand no. over to you to, to, to give us your score and your, your final thoughts there. Well, I must admit, Dave, I've got to applaud you on it's, Tuesday. It's Asgard, isn't it? <laughs> 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 no, it's uh, it's Asda, is it? Uh, no, uh, I, I must admit, Dave, I've got to g- give you full credit on the, the way you've picked, because Dave, if anyone is listening, I know I've said this a couple of times, but Dave actually has picked the show and uh, sort of run of what we've reviewed, and I'm quite happy to go with that. And, and not because we you know, we can change it, as we said, if we get some suggestions off people, we will sort of mess around with what we're going to do and things like that, but I've been great to a goal from sort of highs of lows. And it, this film, Dave, it, I honestly can't see there's going to be anything worse than this that you can throw at me. I really <laughs> can't. I really can't. And, and, and the last couple of days, I've been really questioning how I have come to the review scores of the films we've already done. And, and I want to, before I give a score, I would like to give some amendment scores, if that's okay. Um, now, is that okay? I know that anyone who's listened to the previous podcasts, apologies. If, you can't put everything, you know, in relation to this. <laughs> you can't put everything at the top of the scale. <laughs> no, I can't. But Nick Fury does not deserve um, to be sent to the Phantom Zone. So I want to send Nick Fury to Hell's Kitchen um, mm-hmm. without doubt. And I also want to send Batman to the Halls of Justice, but I'm not changing the Black Panther. Um, I'm keeping that at the Halls of Justice as well mm-hmm. uh, until I watch it again. But them two, 
I would like to slightly move up because this film does not deserve our review score. It is that bad. I mean it. I mean it. I mean, it's a film that if you had people round, you could absolutely blag them and say, what a film I've watched. We've got to watch this film just to see the reaction after about 10 minutes thinking, is he actually for real here? Because it is quite truly the worst Anything I've ever seen on TV, anything, I'm, I'm irrespective of a film, and I've watched some terrible reality programs because I like reality stuff and that. Dave, it is just truly awful. From the minute we get that Jim Carrey, um, pound shop, lookalike, whatever he's trying to do, I just do not know. Uh, it's like he'd gone to the auditions and said, you know what, to his mates, I'm going to try and just play Jim Carrey and see if they cast me. And they casted yeah. him. And and honestly, it, just for the sheer volume of the Jim Carrey stuff, and one thing that got me at the start was he does this little movement with his, he puts his hands there like he's got like a pencil sort of from his head and he moves his head dead quiet, like dead quickly. And it's just what Jim Carrey does and stuff like mm. that. And I was thinking, surely Jim Carrey wanted to sue this guy for copyright infringement because it was, it's not even close to go... He sounds like him. He's even got the suits on that he wore in the mask. You know, he's got like a yellow suit on at the end. You know, he was the green face. And it was like, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't go past that. I just thought it's, it's an absolute disgrace that the directors even allowed this. And I've read some of the reviews for people after I watched it saying that he was great. He, he chewed the scenes up, as we were saying, you know, from one of the last one. Mm-hmm. And, Nick Fury, and I'm thinking he didn't chew anything up. He might be a good actor. Like you said, I've had that. He's in stuff like Honey, I Shrunk the Kid and things like that. And mm-hmm. So I probably remember him in them because I remember as a kid, watching it, but this, it's just, it's an absolutely awful, awful film. I cannot recommend this to anyone other than to wind someone up. So it's definitely got to go. Please, I want General Zod to come down, pick him up and take it to the Phantom Zone. It's the worst film I have ever, ever seen, Dave. And I can't say any more than that. I really can't. And it's a disgrace. And I hold my hands up for the review scores I've previously given because I, I felt like we needed to add another um, another sort of review score parameter there because another it was that bad. Point. It was below. It's below. If you're going to keep... If I'm going to keep Nick Fury, which I'm not, I've moved it up. I've had to move them up because of how bad this is. It doesn't. Nick Fury is a better film than this, and I don't care what IMDb says and Rotten Tomatoes. This is a truly awful film. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I was. I'm not going to disagree with anything you've said there. I do think Matt Fury's performance is not good. It's a straight-up rip-off of Jim Carrey. But I, I think probably on balance, he, he probably was the best thing in the movie. But that's not to say it was good. <laughs> totally it's just, uh, you know, the best thing in a, in a very bad bunch. Um, and I was thinking as well, you know, so if we, if we do have new listeners out there, so we, we have a scale, so going from best to worst, uh, we start right on the top there in that hilly Asgard kind of area. Um, uh, next best to that is Atlantis. Then we're in that middle section. We're in Hall of Justice. Then we get down into Hell's Kitchen, and then we get into the Phantom Zone. So for those truly terrible movies, just in our opinion, there could be other people who, who really like those things that we send there. 
Um, but things that we think should be locked away in the phantom zone, that's that's where this, this was going. And, and I must admit, I, I was racking my brain to think, is there a location um, that is worse than the phantom zone? And the only thing I could think of was something like the blob's posing pouch. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could send it there, but no, I think we'll we'll keep um, we'll keep it fairly, you know, linear and just have that five point scale. So, yeah, I th- I think this this was hard to watch, and again, we because we hadn't watched it in the context of the time, maybe I'd have felt a bit different. But I, I kind of don't think. I don't think I would even even then in the in the kind of mid nineties. I, I don't think I'd have thought any differently of this. It's just really not a good movie at all. No. And I'm just glad you know. So when we get onto X Men in the two thousand, I think there's a lot of people who don't like those movies, and I think a lot of people kind of retrospectively uh, beat up on them because of how they match up or don't match up with the Marvel movies. But if you compare this four years between this TV movie and, you know, X-Men, it's just light years apart, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to send it straight to the Phantom Zone as well. I can't when – I, when I watched Nick Fury, and, again, I think, I think, to be fair, the first 20, 30 minutes – I thought it was very similar to this. There was nothing really redeeming about it at all. Yeah. But then, for me at least, there was a switch that it put it into that so bad it's good yeah. category, uh, whereas this is, you know, so bad it's just it's just bad. <laughs> it's just- and I, I just unfortunately I can't. I can't have much other than the odd laugh out loud thing, like say the terrible kind of um, the body double for Buff, the uh, Banshee sort of using his powers on the kids and then and then blowing his fingers. <laughs> it's just just ridiculous moments, but but it's not to not to recommend anyone sit through it. So, oh. listeners, if you've made it this far. You know, unless you're oh, cranky, sucker for punishment, I, I would probably just <laughs> uh, probably just avoid this one. Unless you're an absolute completionist or masochist, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and I think as well, he's. I'd listen to this podcast just for listening to me and Dave trying to make it sound interesting because I think we've done quite a good job this week because it truly is a war of attrition. And I know I'll probably cringe listening to the Nick Fury one again because I'm going to have to go listen to what I said in that one again, Dave, because I've listened to it a couple of times. But I, I, I'm actually sat here with my head in my hands. What I've, I mean, I've watched it again as we're doing the podcast and skated over the bits as we've gone. And we, these obviously bits we've missed, and we've missed them on purpose. We've, we've done more in-depth reviews because the film has deserved more of our time, but this truly deserves no more than the hour and 27 that it was created in because it's an absolute atrocious thing. And, and I think you got, you come from the comic book side, Dave. For you, all I've got to go off is the film and maybe the odd sort of uh, Easter egg of dropping, you know, like Cerebro in there and things like that because I've watched in the films. It must really grate on you more because you're thinking this, like the, the whole dream stuff was just straight out of the 1980s, Freddy Krueger, like we said. <laughs> and you, you, you picked up and I written it down myself when I watched it this week. It must, 
think you must think to yourself when it comes to these direct like it's about David Goyer and that that the, the artistic license it's, it's it's not even close to what you've even read or would have read yeah and again if I if I'd have watched it at the time um maybe I'd have had those feelings but I, I, it's so it's so different you know I, I it's not even close enough to register on my scale, to be honest, to be <laughs> yeah. upset. Oh, they got that wrong about the, the character or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> what is this? You know, all the way through just thinking, oh, God, is that, is it finished yet? No, oh, 10 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, it, it served a valuable purpose. This is the first step. Fox X Men universe. A painful yeah. step gone over on our ankles. <laughs> we have to pick up ourselves, dust ourselves off. But you know, it's the first step, and it possibly normalizes you know some of our review, reviews as well uh, going forward. So I, I do think that's probably down near the bottom end of the scale there. I, I think that's going to be, and I don't think the only good positive, but the positive thing out of watching it is there truly cannot be any worse films that we will review. I mean that, day. I, I know I said it with Nick Fury, and you kept saying to me about Generation X. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, I mean, clearly some people out there do, do enjoy it because, uh, like I said, I just had a quick look at IMDb uh, before we started recording, and, and I think Nick Fury's three-point-something uh, rated on there, and, and uh, Generation X is four-point-something. So some people are, you know, I mean, four to me is is you're up around the midsection, aren't you? You're starting to get into, yeah, this is all right. You know, it may not be for you. Um, but it's it's all right for some people, whereas I kind of think this is more. No, it's it's just not really right for anyone. <laughs> because, like you said when we were talking, when we were reviewing it just then, is it doesn't know what it is. I mean, one minute you've got some sort of nineteen fifties love cliche scene, the next minute we've got, um, you know, I'm trying not to say the word, but like he's, he's saying he's going to do something to his sister and stuff. And it, yeah, know. you know, and it's yeah. it's, more, it's illegal what he's saying, and then you've got. Um, comments that I say that, you know, are you circumcised and, and all this and you think, and then they, like I say, these random bits of swearing, like they were trying to justify, maybe it was an R rated TV film. I don't know. It must've been on after nine o'clock or something, but it just didn't justify what it was doing. It was like a, it's a Jack of all trades, master and none, you know, because it, 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 it was just nothing. Was, I, I wouldn't even call it a comic book adaption. I just call it a, a, a very poor. It's like watching Tales from the Crypt or something from like the eighties where you'd stay up late yeah, and watch yeah, these yeah. weird, yeah. each episode was slightly different and you'd have ones where someone would be dreaming and be in a fantasy world. And at the end, it was all a dream or was it, you know, like that sort of thing, like, like the thriller, Michael Jackson thriller video. I know that's a, a, a weird comparison, but you, you by the end of the sort of whole 20 minute segment of this thriller film, it's supposed to have been a dream, hasn't it? But then he turned around and he's, is it a dream? And that's what I kept getting with this thinking, this is like a bad horror film, but without any horror or any direction. Mm. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. terrible. It, uh, it's good. It's good for us because we can grind ourselves through these things, but let, let's do something better next week, Dave. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, must, I must admit, I was thinking after I'd rewatched this and, uh, you know, 
I am invested. I, I put my cards on the table earlier in the show, right at the top of the show. You know, X Men is definitely one of my favorite in comic book and and in the uh, TV movies. I, I'll just swallow it up. But but even for me, this this was hard. And I, I thought to myself, I, I'm gambling a bit this week. I might I might have lost Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought you might say, look, I'm done. If you're going to subject me to this, I'm done. I'm out. No, hey, I'd never, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. But I, I must admit, knowing what they've got coming up for his schedule, I was looking at what we got up thinking, I can't go through another these for at least a couple of weeks. Give me something. Because what I find is, and but that's the whole point of reviewing it, Dave. We can't keep doing masterpieces, stuff like that. And obviously in the next couple of weeks, we are going to be reviewing a TV series in the same format as what we do. So we're having to put a bit more time into what we're reviewing because it's not just an hour and a half to two hour segment. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to condense it into a review of, a, of this length, like a, a one and a half to two hour review. So it's a slightly different approach. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the challenge of how we both pick different bits out of what we come across and how we saw the series and stuff. So that's going to be a good challenge for, and then obviously we will move on to the games, but no, you'll never lose me with stuff like that. But I was laughing to myself thinking, I'm not going to swear, but I was thinking that man, Dave, has just had me over there completely. <laughs> I'm really trying not to swear. When we go off air, I'm going to swear at you, but I'm not doing it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant, absolutely. So, yeah, we, we've got, we've got, uh, like you say, we've got a, a good, quite iconic, uh, independent kind of movie or based on an independent comic coming up next week, and and then a series. Um, and then, of course, getting on towards the end of April, we're, we're going to be discussing uh, a small little Avengers movie coming out. So I, I imagine that one will not be Generation X. So, so I think we've yeah. we've had our penance, and we'll uh, we'll get into some better materials over the next few weeks. I think. Yeah, and but please also, it's on YouTube, so it's there for all to see. You know, some of the films reviewed are available on YouTube, but this one is. So just for sheer, even if you want to sort of run with the podcast, when we do these reviews, we I have the film running in the background. And I know some that Dave, you're going to do down the line. And it just sort of helps for different cues with what, you know, like Dave and myself have picked up in our notes. And it helps me remember then as well, especially if it's a film we've never seen before like this. Mm-hmm. And like Nick Fury, you know, I'd never seen it before or anything like that so so it's it, i like to have it running there um but when we do the, the cinema stuff like black panther that's all on memory and and what you're sort of picking up from researching but if you want to see what we're saying about just please just see matt free uh, his performance as, as jim carrey basically because <laughs> i don't think you're going to believe how much of a rip-off it is that's the only reason i'd say to anybody to watch this film yeah Okay, good stuff. So both off to the off to the Phantom Zone. I, th- I think that's the first time that's happened, isn't it? We, we both unanimously said this is uh, fairly atrocious. So yeah. off to the Phantom Zone you go. I think you'd only that, that might be the only time you would have lost me, Dave, if you'd not sent it to the Phantom Zone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> found some redeeming qualities in it. Yeah, brilliant. so. If you like what you hear, then go ahead, get onto iTunes, hit that subscribe button, and, and every time we release a new episode, you'll get that downloaded straight to your, your podcast 
catching device. And while you're there, if you could drop us a, a five-star review, that would be wonderful. We'll read it out on the show, and that just helps us grow the podcast a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Chris, have you got any plugs for us? Yeah, I have Dave, as always. Um, I have my other podcast, which is going from strength to strength, actually. It's the Contextual Podcast. Please give me a follow on Twitter at the Contextual Pod One or at the Contextual Podcast, whichever uh, account you find on there. Um, email me at the Contextual Podcast at gmail.com. And please, if you've got any sort of podcast hosting, uh, app, whether it be iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, various other ones that are out there, you're all like through Google. Come on, give it a listen. It is um, an adult rated podcast because I do swear a lot, which when you listen to this podcast and then you listen to my other one, you would actually probably think that doesn't really resonate with Chris because I'm trying very hard not to be, um, especially with this this one I've had to review this week. <laughs> but it's a slightly different podcast talking gaming, football, MMA, stuff like that, WWE. So give us a shout. And then, uh, yeah, just, and if there's any subjects you want to talk about gaming-wise or you want some information about upcoming games or pricing, I'm usually your man because I can usually troll. And I know all the best sites for uh parents and stuff like that do you want any games for the kids or for yourself so give us a shout about yourself dave what plugs have we got yeah so we recorded uh, the latest episode of the grassroots coach cast so that'll drop uh once i've had a chance to edit it and everything that'll drop this weekend so we were just talking around uh planning for for practices and and matches and what have you this week um, so yeah, that's that's all good fun. So all around youth soccer coaching there, or youth football coaching. And so if you're into that sort of thing, then uh, get over and and have a listen to that one. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a uh, subscriber to your podcast. I haven't listened fully to last week's podcast, Dave. To be fair, but there's some of the ones that you've covered are great. There's stuff like with the crazy gang and the Gaza stuff, which is is all runs parallel to the main topic. There's always this sort of retro rewind section and genuinely it is good good content so please give dave and ben a listen and a subscribe because it is worth it and anyone who's either boy or girl um who's played in any sort of football team at that age group it's, it's really interesting and quite it's quite funny really because jordan's 17 now and she even looking like going back six, seven years since she's played football properly. And it just is exactly the same. Some of the stuff that you guys have to go through and the parent, one of the episodes was regarding parents and how you tackle them. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. I, I, I give you, I mean, I wasn't one of them parents that kicked off with the managers and that. I had the respect, but I know plenty of members of my family who manage or uh, my, my brother, especially was always getting sent off for watching his lad play. So I, how he is, tackle that is admirable so please give it a, give it a follow because it is good content and it's up there every single week from dave and ben cool and chris if someone wants to email us who would they email now obviously there was a bit of confusion <laughs> the other week dave but we are available at comics in motion podcast at gmail.com that's comics in motion podcast at gmail.com um yeah, just give us a shout. We do get messages and emails off people, whether it be through sort of Twitter. Twitter's our main format, really, and social media platform that we're using because we're finding that that's getting the most 
interaction with us and people around the world are actually coming to us. So we're not really using Facebook at the moment unless there's a need for it. Um, we have got a page up there, but we've not really done anything with it because we just don't feel we need to. And, and just thank you for everyone who's listened, subscribed, followed what we're doing, asked questions, corrected us on stuff we're not doing. We're going to keep the facts going. I must admit, Dave, next week's facts regarding this film are going to be interesting because I think the first fact is going to be... Now, when I, when we put the facts up, we usually put the name of the film, the year in brackets, and then afterwards we put facts, and then we go and we'll find and trawl facts and pictures and that. I honestly don't know where I'm going to start with this film because all it's going to be is fact number one, it's terrible. Fact number two, Irish accent's terrible. Fact number three, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> Fact number four, Jim Carrey. I just yeah, I, I, guess... I don't think I mentioned actually. The the well here here you go. So terrible Irish accents. The guy who played uh who played Banshee was actually the same uh voice actor who did Banshee in the in the X-Men animated series. Oh, did it? Yeah. So they obviously thought, you know, it's so good. That really sounds like an Irish accent. That does. I mean, there's there's so many Irish people in in the US. I I, I just don't get it. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. So there you go. There, there's one fact. I've got I've got a feeling because normally we reach more for the you know the media, don't we, and facts around that. So I I think next week we're we're going to be more reaching into the comics. So, yeah, please. Some some stuff out there about Jubilee and popular character from the nineties, and and not really been used too much. So, so here here you go. Another fact. So, Jubilee's a vampire right now. (laughs) Ah, right. Okay. We'll we'll get some stuff from the comics for the for the facts. I'm sure. Yeah, and and the only thing I'd say just before we finish is Jubilee is someone I remember from the night because I was into the comic. I was into the actual TV comics of X Men. Obviously, we all know Wolverine was was nowhere near as tall as what Hugh Jackman was supposed to be in in the films. But uh, another one in the same vein as Jubilee, just going slightly off, who I absolutely love is uh, Remy LeBeau, which is um, <laughs> another fantastic. Cajun accent. Oh, amazing. Well, they're supposed to be animated series. Exactly. They're supposed to be making the TV series of Gambit. And and I know in in Wolverine Origins, he's brilliant in it, the guy who plays. I really like his performance in that. So, again, like Jubilee, another underused character in the Marvel sort of universe. You've never been able to perform that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But in the cartoons, he was a a big player in the X Men, wasn't he? With. Wolverine and stuff and, and Cyclops. Oh, I mean, in the comics, he was, he was pretty huge. I mean, uh, you know, he, he was that bad boy, um, and and he was he was used a lot in the animated series. But I I, I hadn't heard about the TV series. Um, I I thought for, so for years it's been one of those development hell movies. Um, yeah. But Channing Tatum's been uh, been linked with playing him for for years, but I just worry, you know, because I, I do think he's a he's a decent enough actor, and I, I think they'll by the time it actually hits the screens, it'll be too old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true, true. You've heard it. 
I always do. It's just totally going off on the, the subject, but just with the Jubilee reference, I just thought it's quite relevant because I saw I've read it this week. Um, but yeah, I, I, and also if anyone's listening, if you've got any facts about this film, then I'm quite happy to hand over all the passwords and let you run it for this week. <laughs> <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> yeah, unbelievable. But yeah, thanks, Dave. It's been a brilliant episode. It's been emotional. <laughs> oh my word! As, as Mr. Vincent Jones once said, "Yeah, uh, it's been emotional, but fun as well." Because uh, I, I'm writing notes down, and and, what, and I wouldn't have watched this film ever, and I'll never watch it ever again. The only time I said this about Nick Fury, but there's pretty much a certainty that if I had a choice and my life depended on it, I'd be watching Nick Fury all day long because I, I just can't go back to this. It's absolutely terrible, but. A great exercise in what we're trying to achieve on the Comics Emotion podcast and for, for the listeners. And even if one person listening actually watches it, I'd love to know what they think of it. Are we correct? Is it just us overreacting because of the wealth of what um of what like we expect or how we review? Are we correct in that? I just I'd like at least one person to contact us this week and sort of just say, Yeah, you're right or you're wrong. Do you know what I mean? So, and I'm not doing a poll, Dave. By the way, just in if, case. Yeah, if <laughs> someone does watch it, just you know, you've been warned. So, <laughs> 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 uh, okay, yeah, let's let's wrap up there then. It, it, it has been fun, and let's let's watch something we enjoy for next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go upstairs and watch EastEnders because that'll cheer me up more than them. <laughs> Yeah, go and watch The Revenants or something. Yeah, yeah, that that depressed me. But yeah, or Schindler's List or something. (laughs) But no, thanks, Dave, and and thanks again, everyone. And um, this has been episode eight of the Comics in Motion podcast. I've been Chris Phelps, and uh, see you later. Cheers, guys. Take care now. Hootie and Blowfish from the Bureau of Mutant Affairs. We're here to transport the mutant to a rehabilitation centre. Guys, I'm feeling seriously omnipotent! Hang on a minute, honey. I'm just gonna get my very white album. And when your power kicks in and you do look through my clothes, I will rip your head off and attach it to his clutch. We're pretty good at beating up children. Well, thank you so much. I'm really just a beginner, but I know I can. If I can become as solid as anything I touch, man. Wood, rock, steel, it's all good. What happens when you eat jello, is it? <laughs> man, you know I don't like jello. I know you don't like jello. That was, it was very funny. You're still big. I'm, you're huge. Yeah, I know. <laughs>